0: Welcome, I'm Hala Abdelnour, the presenter of Facilitate This, the Group Work Centre podcast where we talk with facilitators about their craft with a focus on a different topic each episode. Facilitate This is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and goes out to listeners on the lands of First Nations people across Australia and beyond. Collaborative decision-making often gets a bad rap as being too slow and inefficient from those who prefer voting. This week, Jim talks to Green Senator Janet Rice about why we should give it a try and how to do it well. Janet's been facilitating collaboratively for more than 30 years and we're delighted to tap into her wealth of experience.
1: Janet Rice, welcome to our podcast. It's lovely to have you here. It's
2: absolutely wonderful to be here, Jim.
1: Thank you. The reason that we brought you in to talk specifically about collaborative decision-making because you've done it so long as an activist in your community, in politics, as a forest advocate, an activist, et cetera. So this is a lifetime of work for you. I thought, who better to talk to about this topic Tell us to start with why you're so wedded to this model of decision-making.
2: Because it works. (laughs) And look, I was very fortunate in when I started my life as a campaigner and as an activist, I was surrounded by people who practiced consensus and that was how we made decisions. And so that's what I, you know, grew up with as an activist and I saw that it worked it was really only when I started, when I was elected to council, um, Maribyrn Council in two thousand and three. So you know, twenty years I'd been working as an activist, that I really had struck making decisions by voting, and I thought this is just leads to such bad decisions. And essentially, you know, I'm wedded to consensus because it is fundamental to what George Monbiot calls the politics of belonging, and it actually builds trust. It's genuinely respectful of everyone in the room. And you get better outcomes because you spend the time actually hearing from everybody, encouraging people to put themselves in other people's shoes, people understanding where everyone's coming from, and then working through a decision that everyone can live with. So you end up with decisions that really do genuinely take account of all of the factors that need to be taken account of, and you end up with decisions that last. They're ones that people can, you know, say, yep, okay, We've been through this process, it's something I can live with, and there's not a need to then, you know, next month when the numbers change in the group, oh, well, we're going to chuck that one out and we're going to, you know, put something else in place.
1: That's a lot there to unpack. Let's move to some definitions of group work. We say that collaborative decision making is a process whereby we pull all the ideas on an issue or a decision. And arrive at an outcome or a solution that is the best for the whole group. Is that a definition that you're happy to live with and work by?
2: Pretty much. I mean, there are various definitions that I've used over time. I tend to not really Mm. carry a definition around my head because Mm. it's such – it's a process and it's actually – it's – It's a way that people need to come to the process as well. And so it's actually genuinely, consensus has to encompass people coming, being committed to consensus, being committed to respect others, being committed to Mm. genuinely know that other people's views are as valid as their own and to be willing to move their positions on the basis of new information that they receive, to be reaching a decision that, yes, is in the best interest of the group. might not be their preferred decision that they see as being in their particular best interest, but there's that genuine commitment that reaching that decision that's in the best interest of the group is where things need to be headed.
1: So it's a very different approach to voting, which is what most people are used to. And we do a lot of voting in the electoral system, for example. And so we're familiar with it. We see it and hear it and do it a lot. When you decide to work collaboratively and by consensus, you need to have, as you say, the goodwill to come in with an open mind. And that to me is one of the biggest differences between those two models. Almost always, when you have something to vote on, you've got to pretty much make up your mind, pre-consider before you even go into the room.
2: I mean, it basically, it brings to a decision that goes back to what we were saying before, that commitment to be making a decision that's in the best interests of everyone. Mm. Whereas often in a voting situation, you've got your particular group, or which might only be you, that you are saying, I'm going to make a decision that's in my interests. And essentially the process then is just bringing, persuading people, bringing people onto your side. So your powers of persuasion, your powers of, you know, great oration and 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 wonderful arguments that you're going to put forward are what you then present. It's also in the interest of bringing people over onto your side. It's in your interest to hide information that doesn't suit your interests. And so, you know, often in a voting situation or when you've got two cases being put and, you know, it's almost that you know, legal adversarial process you will have the case that's put that will, you know, gloss over information that doesn't suit your case, and the other side will, of course, try and do the other thing. And so, it, in many ways, it's it depends so much on the power and the the tools and the the rank and the um, the ability of that you know that persuasion in order to win the argument, not whether it's the best decision. Whereas if you've got a process of consensus and working collaboratively, you've got this commitment to we're going to put all the information on the table everybody is going to know you know who are going to be the you know winners or losers in in a particular outcome and you know in in a, in a consensus decision there will be some elements of society that will be better off by a particular decision than others and you actually you lay that on the table and you have a discussion about that and and you're committed to sharing all of that information as well, and in fact, if you can't do that and share all relevant information, well, you actually it's really hard to reach a consensus decision because if some people have got some information and others haven't, you're not going to have a, a really open and transparent decision-making process.
1: There was times there where you sounded like a politician. Now you're talking about winners and losers and voting and and keeping information out of a discussion because it doesn't suit your purposes or the end goal that you want to reach. Clearly, we all see this in politics all the time. You sit in the Senate on behalf of the Greens in a system that is highly adversarial. We're constantly battling the other side, the government, the opposition, Mm. the binary positions that we're forced to take. But you sit in a party that makes decisions by consensus. What are the tensions that come about because of that?
2: Yeah, well, it can be really difficult and you sort of got to change your headset. And, you know, working within the party, that commitment to operate by consensus and to be sharing information, yet knowing that when you step outside those party processes, you are in an adversarial space where, in fact, it's not safe to share information and that people do not trust you and you cannot trust other people. So it's almost you're in two worlds and there's a lot of pressure to say, so, well, because that's the adversarial system, that within the party, oh, well, you know, that's the way that we should be operating as well. Or or it leaks into the party. It can potentially leak, you know, there are always is tension of that's the mode that people are operating in and it can be hard to leave that at the door when you're within your Greens party processes.
1: Can you talk us through the process that we would go through at, say, a community group with a decision around a major direction on a campaign or an outcome that they're seeking, where there are different views in the room?
2: Well, first of all, you've got to have that commitment to be reaching consensus by everybody in the room. And that's your fundamental ground rules. If you've got people that are involved in that decision who aren't committed to consensus well then that's going to be a real challenge and can really be a blockage in terms of reaching a consensus decision so having that group that do trust each other and that they know that they're you know everyone is going to be treated respectfully having a commitment to be sharing all relevant information is you know is fundamental so once you've sort of got those those ground rules you've got to group that has, you know, done some work and is even if it's not fully trusting each other, the the processes that it's using are ones that are building trust and creating a safe space for people. Then the process is pretty much, you know, let's talk about the issue. Start off not with a preconceived, oh, well, we've got a problem, so this is the way that we're going to solve it.
1: Don't start with solutions. Exactly. Is one of the first things we've got to understand.
2: Exactly. So rather than sort of jumping to everybody, of course, if you've got a problem, everyone's got an idea of, you know, we're all problem solvers. Oh, yeah, I think we should be doing this. So put those solutions aside for the moment. You can, you know, have them there in the back of your head and know that maybe that's something you might put up later on. But fundamentally, to begin with, you've got to learn. You've got to hear from other people. You've got to know all of the different perspectives in the room. And so the initial process is sharing information about what's the issue at hand? What is it that we are grappling with here? And have a process where everyone is genuinely heard and everyone had the opportunity to hear different perspectives and to really be able to put themselves in other people's shoes Mm. and to say, yeah, I understand where you are coming from on this issue. And so then once you've gone through that process, and that can take quite a long time, depending on the complexity of the issue, then you're in a situation to then start thinking about, well, what are some ways to deal with this? Actually, before I want to go on, on to there, the other thing is it's not only hearing from the people that are in the room, there are also people outside the room. It might be people of the future, it might be other species, it might be, you know, other other communities that you actually have to have. Have heard what is the impact of of this issue on them as
1: well. And the bigger the decision, the more likely that there are more of those that that's we haven't right. thought about.
2: That's right. And so if you're genuinely coming to a you know collaborative decision that you are saying is coming from values of respect and yeah, the politics of belonging, you need to be considering all of those other stakeholders too. So, okay, so that's you know, you've you've done your work now, you've got a group of people that really thoroughly feel that they understand all the ins and outs of an issue. Then you basically encourage the creativity of the group of having heard all of the the information, put up a proposal as to how you think what's something that actually everyone could live with. And this is critical, you know, having heard all of the different perspectives and different people's views and how different people are going to benefit or or not benefit from a decision – you come up with something that you think, yeah, you know, well maybe that'll take account of all of that that complexity.
1: Can we give our listeners an example from your own experience of where you've seen this work particularly well?
2: Dredging back I mean so much of my work in the last, you know, decade has been in the in the parliament and sort of a bit removed from people's examples. But I'm thinking back to my work that I did with the Maribyrnong Truck Action Group. And the issue is still ongoing of, you know, massive trucks on the streets of, of Footscray and Yarraville, huge disruption to the community, and how you campaign on those issues where basically, you know, government aren't paying attention or they're paying lip service to you. So the group that I was involved in for you know over a decade, and it's still going, trying to decide how do you bring attention to this issue? And a lot of people who are very keen to have protest actions and stopping traffic to say the community is really concerned about the trucks. And the group at the time that I was involved, we had a number of protest actions where we had a protest action, peak hour, <laughs> corner of Francis Street and Williamstown Roads, putting people's, you know, daily commute into the city, sort of you know, traffic stopped for 45 minutes. And, and parents are going, how am I going to get my kids exactly, to school? Exactly, exactly. Everyone's going to be late for work. <laughs> yeah. And so working through, well, you know, we're doing this because it's, you know, the, the view that we have to do this. We have to do something that's really in your face, that gets attention, that has you on the front page of the papers versus other people saying, but we are not going to be building support for our campaign because we are putting people People who just, yeah, want to be getting their kids to school or getting off to work or getting to the airport to catch their, you know, urgent flight. We're going to be really annoying them. And so having the discussion, you know, putting all of those points of view and reaching a consensus. And basically the consensus that was reached was, that we were going to go ahead with having these protest actions, but we were going to do everything we could to let people know they were going to occur. And so really sort of working hard in the community to say, this protest action is going to be happening at eight o'clock in the morning. Come and join us. But even if you can't join us, be aware that it is going to occur at eight o'clock in the morning and, you know, you're not going to be able to sort of drive your car, sort of, you know, um, smoothly over the Westgate Bridge for the next hour. And we also made sure, I mean, because it was such a big action, you know, the morning radio media would cover the fact that there was going to be this protest action. We worked really closely with the police to make sure that they knew what was going on, it was safe, and they were stopping traffic. So putting lots of measures in place as part of that decision. So the decision wasn't just to have a protest action, but it was to have a protest action with various other add-ons to take account of all of the concerns that people had raised.
1: It's a great example because those fears would have been really real on the part of many people who wanted action but didn't want too much disruption to innocent bystanders, so to speak.
2: Exactly. And I think often if you look at the, the consensus decisions that have come out of this process, they'll often be something that will be pretty complex, and it will have all of these add-ons and provisos. And often people criticise that, oh, that's a classic, you know you're trying to have it both ways, you're trying to you know have your cake and eat it too. And in fact, that's the case. You are, that you are taking a course of action, but you're you know, putting various other measures in place to reduce the risks or to take account of, of people's potential concerns or potential adverse outcomes from taking that action. So it's often a very nuanced, sophisticated position that will come out of a consensus decision-making process.
1: One of the sticking points is this opportunity to block a decision being made, yeah, on a particular proposal or solution. As a facilitator from group work, our model is we don't include a block and we say that if you do what you're doing is actually discouraging people being heard because it's those that aren't heard that feel the need to block a decision because their views haven't been taken into account. They feel so strongly and passionately that they will prevent that proposal from going ahead in any form.
2: Often in the Greens, we will have people who will block a decision and then we will end up going to a vote. And there are a couple of reasons why that occurs. And I think it's desirable that those situations occur as little as possible. But the main reason why they occur is is lack of time and that we just have not had the time for everyone to genuinely be heard and to and to, you know, construct that consensus decision that really does take account of everybody's perspectives. It's me personally I would much prefer us to be in a situation where we don't have either the ability for people to block decisions or to end up going to a vote. But it's a you know, it's the reality we live in and it's and I think it's primarily because of those time constraints. One of the things that does, of course, is that you do it's basically taking a shortcut in your consensus process. And it means that the whole value of that collaborative process of in the process itself of building trust and building commitment to consensus is, you know, slightly undermined.
1: And it's one of the reasons that consensus does get attacked from outsiders because they say it too often leads to miserable compromises, decisions that don't stick or they're no good, mm. and then it takes too long. These are very commonly heard criticisms, aren't they? What's your response to that?
2: Oh, look, I think, you know, it does take a long time, but that time's an investment in decisions that stick and it's investment in building the the group and building the, the groupiness of the group and actually sort of having a group that is really holding together. But, yeah, it does take time. I would think another reason why you can have consensus failing is, in fact, you've got a group of people where you really haven't, got everybody committed to consensus, where there is not trust amongst everybody in the group. And that can be really hard because if you've got a group like that that says we want to make decisions, but we don't actually trust each other, we aren't sharing all the information we need to share because some people are holding on to information because they don't feel that it's necessarily safe to share that information, what do you do? And essentially, you've got to do a lot of work to actually be building trust and to be creating that safe space before you're going to be able to make effective um, collaborative decisions.
1: One of the ironies is that in my experience, the trust is built the more you do it. Exactly. And what we say at group work is that good collaborative decision -making, making strengthens a group. Exactly. Those two things together, building trust and goodwill and building a harmonious and strong group by a process that allows you to hear everybody and arrive at a decision that everyone can live with without necessarily being happy with, to me, is worth it.
2: Exactly. And to me, it's worth it. And that you get both this group that's really coherent and you get good decisions that have genuinely taken account of all of the information that needs to be taken account of. And I think the underlying thing of building that strength of the group is so important and so powerful. Uh, I remember a statistic that I read a while back about something like two-thirds of groups, you know, community change groups or advocacy groups that form, they fall apart, not because they've reached what they want to reach. They fall apart because the group falls apart and they don't trust each other.
1: This comes back almost every time to good facilitation, doesn't it? Exactly. And us leading by example, us showing how people can be heard, encouraging people to listen really well to each other and give space to those whose voices aren't often
2: heard or appreciated. You've got to have the skills to be able to facilitate that consensus process. And once you've had people experiencing that collaborative process, well, then it's also building their facilitation skills as well. So it's actually a, a really good way of of training a group in facilitation is actually to be going through those processes. But there's no doubt that the skills to facilitate a consensus process, and particularly if it's a really tricky one, and you've got lots of people in the in the room that need to be heard takes a lot of skill and often poor consensus decision making is because there's not the skill to facilitate that process. And that's not surprising because if you haven't done the training, if you haven't got the skills, it's not something you're just gonna pick up out of the ether. And particularly in a in a culture, in a context which is so adversarial, that people don't have the skills in working collaboratively. And that was, you know, again when I was elected to council and certainly in the in the parliament now, you just realise that most people involved in you know community activism but particularly politics do not have those you know collaborative skills they don't know how to work together with other people all they know how to do is to just be presenting their own view and to be speaking very loudly and and try and convince other people to support them
1: and the sad part of that is that those loud voices often prevail simply because they're loud and articulate and have the experience of I would probably say manipulating uh, to a decision, an outcome that they want.
2: And they've got rank and they've got power and, you know, yes, they are very important, you know, learned people. So we've got to pay attention to them. Yeah. Whereas a consensus and collaborative process, well, that, you know, articulate learned person has got exactly the same role in the process as somebody who, you know, is just an ordinary person who's got a perspective that they want to share.
1: And the beauty of working at a community level and in a collaborative model is that we say at group work, the wisdom is in the group, is you get genuinely surprised and heartened by the fact that such wisdom so often comes from those who aren't frequently heard. And that to me is one of the joys of this whole process of working together collaboratively, that you lift up a group By
2: elevating everyone that's part of it. And recognizing that wisdom doesn't correlate with the loudness of the voice. (laughs) That, you know, there are people who might be very quiet and in a process that's not facilitated well actually wouldn't say anything, if they're encouraged to speak and to share their wisdom, can be really influential and and have that wisdom incorporated into the decision.
1: To me, this speaks to the fact that this is experiential, that you only really get it when you do it well. So to get there, it's really important that we invest time in mentoring, in training, and in modelling these processes so that people can experience them.
2: Exactly, and the other thing why I think it's so important to be investing that time, because, yeah, it might seem easy just to make the decision by a vote and people say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, I lost bad luck. But then when you get to really important decisions that are fundamental to the group, you haven't got that experience in how to work collaboratively. And so that's when the group falls apart. And I think, where do we go? Whereas if you've actually got that experience of spending the time working collaboratively on all of those decisions, when you get to the really tricky stuff and the really fundamental stuff that could otherwise tear your group apart, you have got the the ability and you've got the skills in that group to be able to deal with those really big issues.
1: One thing that our teacher Glenn Okus, used to say when we did collaborative decision making, in the course is that our role as facilitators is to build a pool of goodwill because things will get tough and we will need to draw on that.
2: Exactly. And, I mean, I look at the decisions that are being made at our Greens National Council at the moment. You know, we're heading into an election. We are hoping that, you know, we might be in a situation where we share power with an incoming, you know, Labor, Greens government. It's a possibility because, you know, the numbers are really tight in terms of um, the numbers in the House. So we're going through this process of, okay, well, if we're in that situation, what sort of negotiation would we be doing in any, you know, balance of power agreement? This is, you know, really fundamental big stuff and there's a recognition in sort of working out that negotiation process that we would have to reach consensus on that. You couldn't have differences in the party as to what we do, because it would just rip us apart.
1: You couldn't vote, go to a vote. You couldn't
2: saying. go to a vote on that on on deciding on, on our balance of power agreement. So it means that, you know, that's going to, if we're in that situation, it's going to be a really big decision and we need to have yeah, that pool of goodwill and that pool of skill and expertise in reaching consensus to be able to draw upon to be making those decisions at that time. Nice point to
1: end on and nice to think too that, consensus is working its way through right to the very top, possibly, of how we actually form government.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I would love to see, you know consensus and collaboration and collaborative processes, you know, spread more widely in politics, it's still a long way off. But, you know, it could be. It, we can even, even if you don't have full consensus processes, you actually build the skills of people that are involved in politics in working more collaboratively in actually genuinely listening and taking into account other people's perspectives. And gosh, that would make for a, a much better, fairer <laughs> politics and, and be building towards that, you know, politics where people really feel they do belong and are being listened to.
1: Something worth working towards. Thanks so much, Janet.
2: Thanks, Jim. Really enjoyed it.
0: Facilitate This is produced for the Group Work Centre by interviewer and showrunner Jim Buckle, audio engineer Lloyd Richards, consulting producer Justine McSweeney, supervising producer Mark Spencer, and myself, Hala Abdelnoor. We welcome your feedback via email at podcast at groupwork.com.au For details on our courses and services, visit our website, groupwork.com.au.